Hey everyone, it's the Lady J. Thanks so much for tuning in to the very first episode of my brand new podcast. Episode one, we're going to talk to Courtney Rose. Some of you may already know Courtney as one of my best friends, and she and I used to do the Face Lock Feministas podcast together. Courtney happens to be a librarian, so we're going to talk about how she became a librarian and all the things that go into running a public library that nobody really thinks about, and a lot of which they don't teach you in school. It's a pretty interesting conversation, and I learned a lot. And at the end, Courtney even recommended a book to me, which I read and really enjoyed. So it should be a lot of fun. For those of you who may not know, I have a Twitter account at the Lady J Says. You can tweet me there your thoughts about this episode, future episodes, questions you might like to see answered in the future, things you want us to discuss on this podcast with future guests. You can also follow me on Instagram. That is a little different. It's the Lady J Slays. So it's just like Twitter, but with an extra L in there. That I only post on my timeline once a month to talk about what I've been doing that month, but I do post lots of things on my story. So get on there and you can respond to questions and we can talk about the podcast there as well. Just remember, this is only episode one, so there's lots of things to learn from and grow. So if you have ideas about the podcast, requests, if the sound is a little too quiet, if there's a certain podcasting platform you'd like to see the podcast available on, just hit me up, Twitter, Instagram. You can email me, theladyjsays at gmail.com. We can talk about it there too. That's it. So here we go. The very first episode of... I never told you what I do for a living with guest number one, Courtney Rose, the librarian. Courtney Rose. Yo. What did you want to be when you grew up, when you were little? Uh, I wanted to be a pirate or a princess. Pirate is a super common answer for the right. Yeah. I think I just wanted to be cool and badass and have a sword, to be perfectly honest. How many of those things have you accomplished? All of them. Okay, cool. Yeah, just just one about it in a more roundabout way, but I do Where want did to you get it. the sword from? Seville, Spain. <laughs> 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 Oddly enough, I know exactly where I went uh, to Spain. Was it like sophomore year? Between sophomore and junior year of high school, maybe, I think. Or freshman and sophomore year. I can't remember. For like a two or three week like program thing, we went to France and Spain. And they took us to this swordsman place in Spain. And they told a bunch of 16-year-olds, go ahead and buy yourself weapons. And so I brought back a sword. And I brought back a small red hilted dagger. And this was like on a plane less than a year post 9-11. And they were just like, yeah, fucking take it. Yeah. So I have a sword and a small dagger from Spain. So you wanted to be a pirate and cool when you were little. Yep, pretty much. How about when you were like a teenager and people started really aggressively saying, what do you want to be when you grow up and make some solid decisions? Because it's going to be time to start thinking about college soon. So I actually, when I was in, I was thinking, I kind of actually thought about this the other day because I've been cleaning obsessively because I've gone all Marie Kondo on my life <laughs> and I've been getting rid of things and going through stuff. And my eighth grade graduation DVD thing that they made of us walking down an awkward aisle in a church, even though there was only like 30 of us graduating. We all had to say what we wanted to be when I when we grew up. So when I was 13, 
what is what was that 13 probably 14 13 I wanted to be a movie director wow yeah that was my first big thing and I think I wanted to do that up until like maybe the last year of high school until I decided to switch. But I remember constantly reading Entertainment Weekly and a bunch of other things at the, at the library when I worked there and also compulsively stealing pictures of hot celebrities out of magazines um, to plaster my walls with. And I remember there always being like some shitty advertisement, full page advertisement for the New York Film School or something because it was just advertised in every possible Was film it like the black and white? Yes. You know what yeah. I'm talking about? Yes. yes. And I always was like that's where I should go to college because I knew nothing I don't even know what school it was I couldn't tell you but I remember always seeing those ads and being like I'm gonna make movies and then I was got really into movies and I'm like I'm not gonna make movies because <laughs> it's hard so when did you start working at the library I so I started volunteering I was probably like 14 13 14 when I started volunteering at the library during the summer um when I went to high school because I went to a private school which was shit you had to do 60 hours of community service every year and so my community service kind of thing I just was we call them it's the same library I currently work at but we would basically call them like volunteers, and they're just teens that volunteer at the library for the summer and help out and mostly what you do is sign up kids for summer reading and help with summer reading programming and things like that so I did that to have a really easy way of doing community service so I didn't have to actually like be outside or do physical activity it was just sitting inside a library four hours on the weekend for the most of summer and that was it and it covered everything so I did that and then when I was 15 I got hired as a page in the youth services department because they everybody there knew me from being a volunteer so I just started paging which is basically like being a shelver I don't know why there's two different names for it but it's the exact same job you put books back on the shelf and help people and stuff so I started doing that for I was a page for several years did you do it all through high school I did it all through high school and I did it like the first first year of college through my freshman year of college and then I got a new boss and she was this crazy evil person who hated children which is not a good combination if you're working in a children's department so I quit when I was was, I think when I was going, I, when I came back for the summer after my freshman year, I think I quit. And then I worked at the body shop as a makeup artist there. And then I worked at Borders and then Borders went out of business. And then I worked at Barnes and Noble. And then as I was in grad school, I was working at Barnes and Noble as I was in grad school. And like my last couple months, the library mat currently hired me as a substitute librarian. So if like they needed to fill a shift or something, because I didn't have a degree yet. So I couldn't be like staffed until I had graduated. So at one point when I was just getting out of grad school, I was working three jobs and I would work 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. at Barnes and Noble shelving. And then I would work 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. at one of the libraries in the area in the kids department helping with programming. And then I would work 5, 15 to 9 p.m at the current library I'm at in the adult section. You said that you worked at the body shop as a makeup artist? Yeah. Well, I mean, as long as I've known you, you've been into makeup. How long <laughs> has that been something that you're interested in? Oh, gosh. I got really into it probably when I was in college. Senior year of high school, going into college, I got super into it. Mm -hmm. I've always liked it, but I, I have no artistic talents. I'm not very good at anything that involves like hand-eye coordination or like painting, drawing, sketching. I don't know. I took I took sculpture and pottery in high school. God awful. Don't ever give me clay. It's, it was not a ghost moment. It was a, a terrible <laughs> horror moment. But I am very good at colors, weirdly enough. I'm really good at like mixing colors, matching things. I, I really like fashion for that reason too. So I'm always looking for fun 
fun outfits and things like that. But I've always really enjoyed colors and blending things. And so makeup was just kind of like a fun thing to do. I just really wanted to look like David Bowie when I was a freshman in college and very confused about all aspects of my life. <laughs> and I was just like, why can't I just be David Bowie? And so I would just be depressed in my room and practice doing crazy makeup stuff. Now, as a 30-something, you still want to look like David Bowie, though. Yeah, no. Now it's just more like a, a real strong passion. <laughs> a daily, a daily kind of uh, goal. The more David Bowie I can possibly look at every, any given time is how I'm the happiest. Did you ever consider pursuing makeup as a career? Oh, 100%. I definitely wanted to do it, but it's just very, you're basically just self-employed and you don't really have anything to fall back on because you have to just get the jobs for yourself and, and do all this stuff. And I really like doing makeup, but I really like doing it when I, like when I'm passionate and excited by doing something so I really enjoy doing like my friends makeup for things and I like doing I've done our friend Erin Klein I've done her makeup for her wedding I did my friend Marlis's makeup for her wedding I've done a lot of proms I've done like stuff like that it's fun because it's like you know the person and you get to kind of like make them feel slightly better about themselves on an important day or it's just something fun to do to myself but it doesn't necessarily mean that I want to spend thousands of dollars to have a kit that you have to keep up with and changing out products that expire and all that stuff is an obscene amount of money, especially when you're like just starting out and you don't really have like a clientele yet. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just like a huge money investment. And I'm just like a really poor bitch. It wasn't going to be financially viable to me to really kind of do that. It's fun to do here and there. It's fun to get paid like, hey, can I'll pay you 50 bucks if you come do my makeup. I'm a bridesmaid in this wedding. And I'm like, yeah, fuck, why not? You know, I'll just show up and do it. That's cool. All that kind of stuff I love. But the idea of having to do it every single day and not knowing what I'm getting into is slightly, I don't know, that would, I think I, I don't think I have the constitution for it. I think I'm just too lazy to be that, to hustle that much, you know? That's completely fair. The worst thing for me about freelancing is having to beg people to pay you for a mm -hmm. job you've already done. Like, I shouldn't have to chase you down to pay me for the thing that I've already delivered to you. That just feels humiliating to me. And also, it's a really, like, I have too much anxiety just, like, existing in the world. I don't mm -hmm. need more of it by being like, oh, my God, I don't have any money because I'm owed for all of these things that I've already done. What the fuck? Yep. So, I get I it. like to describe myself as being structured spontaneous in that I'm willing to do anything. Thing. I'm, I'm down for whatever. I love new experiences. I'm cool with whatever. But you got to give me something to go off of. You know, like I have to have a certain structure to my day. I need to know like, okay, I'm going to start doing this at 10 a.m. Where we end up, that that's cool. But like, I need to know somewhere we got to be at a certain time or something. I have to start at a certain time. And with freelancing and like makeup and stuff, it was just a lot of you kind of just have to do stuff where you're, you're going on word of mouth from people you don't know. And then you don't know the kind of situation you're getting in. And then it's just so much work and <laughs> not like I'm like a lazy person, but I feel like trying to keep up with all of buying new things and people wanting things done a certain way. That's another thing that I don't, I think people who are like hairstylists and makeup artists and even like personal stylists and stuff are so, have so much patience that I don't have because you never know when you walk into that, that room for someone's wedding or someone's party or whatever, what kind of crazy ass demands somebody is going to have where all of a sudden they want this new trend that you haven't tried yet, or you know, is going to look like shit on them, but they won't listen to you. 
And you're just like, girl, you have a round face. You don't want to be doing this contour this way. <laughs> it's, if it's the way you want it, then let's we, we'll do it. But you just want to smack people around and be like, oh, come on. You can't just, I can't make these life choices for you, but you should know better. So, okay. So we're not going to grow up to be a makeup artist, probably. Probably not. No. I'll just continually listen to David Bowie songs and draw lightning bolts on my face. So besides what you're doing right now, were there other things? Well, you said that you considered going into film and then deciding mm-hmm. you didn't want to do that. Yeah. Was there anything else? The library world is weird because I feel like part of me just like stumbled into it because I've just been surrounded by it forever. So I went to school for English. I don't know what I plan. I didn't really have a plan on what I was going to do, really. It was just kind of like, okay, English is the only thing I am demonstrably good at. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I've always had one skill in life, and that is being able to read incredibly fast, which some would argue isn't a skill. And I would say, I agree. It's not. It's just something I happen to be able to do. But I can read incredibly fast. So school usually was never really an issue for me. I was always a fine student because I could read stuff really fucking fast and then take a test on it and it was fine. No problem. I didn't really struggle with that stuff. So English seemed like the easiest thing to go to school for because 90% of it was here, read these three books, write an essay. And I'm like, that that will take me two days. So that, that was kind of partial high school laziness of just wanting to do something I already knew I kind of had a, an affinity for. Mm-hmm. And also English is so much easier to me than anything else. If you put math or science or anything in that like that in front of me, I'm just going to be confused. I'm terrible at all of it. No matter how hard I try, my brain just is not. I just don't think anyone's ever taught me how to properly like do things when it comes to addition and subtraction. And when I went to college, I hadn't taken any accelerated math classes. So I hadn't taken calculus or trigonometry or anything, which apparently are things you need in college math. And I just remember being like, anybody want to take this test for me? I'll pay you (laughs) for most of my math classes in college because I didn't know what was happening. But English was always super easy. It's super easy for me to read things and like come up with conclusions and think of other things that connect to it and give people ideas for essays and stuff like that. So I kind of just went into English thinking maybe I would be a writer maybe I would do copywriting maybe I would do something like that with the library idea always at the back of my head and then once it got toward the end of college librarianship is really it's kind of unfortunate because in a lot of places you can't really do much unless you have a master's and it was kind of one of those things where I was graduating and thought to myself I I don't mind school school's never been hard for me so why not just go for it and get the master's now rather than wait like 10 years down the line and then try to go back to school and get back in the groove of doing all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So instead, I graduated in May, and then I immediately enrolled right after, and I did my master's in like a year and a half, because I was like, just get it out of the way while I'm still completely in the zone of like how to write a paper, how to read a bunch of articles, and find the important information, and turn that into an essay. Like all that stuff was still in my mind from being in school like literally (laughs) eight weeks earlier. So I just thought, why waste the money? Just go straight to grad school and get the master's out of the way. So how old were you when you got your master's? 24? 20? Hold on. (laughs) I don't know. 23. Yeah, I would have been like 23 or 24. Okay. You worked while you were in grad school, you said. Yeah. What happened after you got your degree? And mostly crying over my student (laughs) loan debt. That's a whole other conversation now, yeah, isn't it? That's a big part of my life on the daily is just crying over student loan debt. Yeah, I just started working. The woman who hired me at my current position has unfortunately passed away since then, but she had known me from being a page years before, and I've always been a library. Like, I always just went to the library. 
away and picked up books and magazines and all that shit. So she knew who I was. So when I was in my last kind of year-ish of grad school, I was just kind of went to her saying, you know, I'm going to library school. I kept coming to the library because because textbooks are expensive. And because I went to library school, it turns out libraries own a lot of the textbooks you need because it's all about librarianship. So I would go there every week and copy all of my chapters assignments from the books at the library. So I didn't have to pay for the textbooks. I just paid to make copies of everything. Or I read it there and I would just sit there for two hours and read and do the assignments. Uh, so I just told her I was graduating in a year and blah, blah, blah. And so she hired me on as a substitute and just said, I can't, you know, give you an actual job until you have a degree. But until then, you can at least learn on the desk and you can put it on a resume that you are a sub. And while I was doing that, a temporary position opened up in another library that's kind of close to me. And I just applied for it because I was like, what the heck? I just had graduated. I think it was I think I might have applied for the job in like April or March. And I graduated like May 2nd or something. And I worked there for about eight months because they were between department managers. So they didn't have a youth services department manager. So one of the other librarians kind of got bumped up as like the interim. So they were short staffed desperately right when summer was starting. So they hired me basically to work on the desk and to help out with doing programs. So I did the kind of programs for kids where you have a therapy dog come in and the kids read to a therapy dog. So we did cool. Oh, it's so much fun. It's absolutely the best program in the world because it's just a real happy old dog that's like, they're like retired pups and they just come and they're very chill and they just kind of sit and put their Sometimes they just sit there. Sometimes they just put their heads on the kids' laps. And it's to help kids, like, feel more comfortable reading out loud. Or kids who might have, you know, some type of learning disability. No one's going to mock them for how they read. And they just sign up for, like, a little session of 15 minutes where they just read out loud to a puppy. And it's very sweet. And so we used, I used to help run that. And then my other big one was Lego Club, which was very cutthroat because everybody wanted in. But Lego Club was like Fight Club, but for five-year-old boys. And so we would have them set up, and they'd all get their little mat, and they'd get to some Sometimes there'd be a theme. Sometimes it was just make whatever you want. And then we had this big glass case and every week we would display them. And so the parents could take pictures and stuff. And then I'd have to tear it all down and do it all again the next week with a new batch of kids. But that was that was my foray into children's librarian for about eight months, which I will probably never, ever do again. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have the temperament for children. They're, they love me because I look like a fairy princess all the time. Um, so little kids love to come over and talk to me, but I just don't. It's just so loud. And the kids aren't even the problem it's always the parents that are problems because adults are the worst um, things ever but yeah so I, I worked there and then I was at the same time I was subbing in the adult department so I was kind of just out of grad school and I was or I was partially in grad school and then just out and I was doing both so I was help doing stuff in the youth department I was doing stuff in the adult section and I was kind of trying to figure out what I would aim for because now I had experience in both and it just so happened that I legitimately landed the most the cushiest <laughs> possible deal in like librarian history, which is where I am now. I just it just worked out so well. I can never turn my back on it now. What do you do now? What are you in charge of? Oh, so I am, my technical title is Reader's Advisory Librarian. So what that really means is when you, like you've done in the past to me, if you said, hey, I read this book by Alice Hoffman, who I know you love. I really, really enjoyed it. What else would you recommend that's similar to this? And then I would usually ask you a couple questions to see what you you liked about it. And then I help you find books that are related in some way to something that you like. That is legitimately my job. <laughs> and so what I do, aside from just answering people's questions like that, I order for 
from my my library. I order all the fiction, mysteries, science fiction, fantasy, mo- some romance, all the graphic novels, all the large print, and then I do all the book displays. I run a book club and I run summer reading. That's a lot of work. It's a hell of a lot. <laughs> I do a lot. Yeah. I'm kind of, uh, but I do, I, I like it. I like it because I get to do all the fun stuff. Like nobody wants, nobody, I'll tell you right now, nobody in library land, unless you have a poli sci degree, nobody wants to be the politics ordering librarian. It's the worst. There's so many freaking books on all sides of every political argument that keep coming out because just anybody can publish a book now. So that's the mo- least fun section to order in. <laughs> And so I'm not a big nonfiction reader. So I think I'm just not big on uh, wanting to read through a bunch of journals to figure out what book on this type of leaf should I order? I'm more into reading like, oh, here are 10 books that are direct copies of Sherlock Holmes stories. Let me read all of these and tell you which one is actually worth purchasing. So I like doing that. To me, it's the fun stuff. Have you ever thought about not being a librarian anymore? Yeah, mostly because I've, I've thought about a couple of years ago, especially before I got hired on kind of full time and in the beginning when I was full time, because I got hired on full time last January and we were also woefully understaffed and we didn't have a manager because the woman who had hired me was very sick for a very long time and she passed away. And in the meantime, we had another per- a woman who was running like four departments trying to kind of keep everything together until they could hire people people to fill these roles. So we were like, our department was like this weird boat in the middle of nowhere where we were getting no guidance. And I didn't feel like I was getting any mentorship. And I didn't feel like I didn't really know what I was doing except making a paycheck. And sometimes I still feel that way where I'm just like, I don't know if I want to do this forever. But now I'm kind of feeling like it's less of me wanting to do this forever and knowing that, like, I think the library needs somebody like me in it. Like, I I think the perception people have of libraries is very specific and very, very old. And often I get people telling me like, oh, you're just, you're so creative. You know, you've come up with all these really cool ideas that are new for the library that we never would have thought of. And it's just kind of like hiring people with a slightly different, it's, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a diversity hire. It's not a diversity hire, let me be clear. But in the sense that in at least where my current position is, there's not a lot of people in my age range. There's not a lot of people of my sexual orientation. There's not a lot of people who have the interest that I have. So my pers- like my perspective on things is very different than the other people in the library. So even on days where I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Sometimes I'm like, but somebody in this community needs somebody like me to order books for them, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. that's a really awesome perspective to have. I, tr- I, I try to, not always. Sometimes I'm just like, burn it all down. I hate everything because it's, it's surprisingly stressful. Like I think everybody thinks the librarians just like sit around and read all day. And I freaking wish I could sit around and read all day. I don't get to read. Any type of reading I do happens when I'm not in the library because there's so many things you have to do to keep a library running and to keep people happy and to help people that like sitting there and reading is nothing, no part of what I do during my day. I might be able to sit and read my book for the book club that I run at the library and I run like two sessions of. Maybe I can sit and read that book, but it's not like I just get to pick a fun book off the shelf. I'm like, I've got nothing to do. I'll just read this and help people with their questions. That's not how it happens. So it's, it's very like, it's very draining, especially because I think people forget that being a librarian is also a public 
Like it's a public service job, really. What we're there to do is to help people. We're not there to tell you what to read. We're there to figure out like what's going on with you that makes you connect with this story and make you want more. Do you like this story because it has strong female characters? Do you like it because it has a different world and what you need right now is to escape the current world? Do you like it because you feel like marginalized in your life and what you need is like a book to read where you can stand in for a character that take really takes control? That's the kind of stuff that I like to do is help people through books and figuring out what their interests are and how to connect them with something they really like. So even when everything else is like incredibly tiring and shit, then you get someone who's like, I'm looking for a book and I need this. And you find the perfect thing and you're like, oh, God, everything's worth it. It's I'm amazing at my job. When I was traveling to Seattle last month, someone had recommended that I go into the public library, like their central location of the public library in Seattle, oh, yeah. because it's designed like a human heart, which is oh, really awesome. cool. Yeah. Um, but what I was not prepared for was the fact that every single open computer in the entire library was occupied mm-hmm. by a homeless person, every mm-hmm. single one. And it was just so different to me because like right my my local public library here in Arlington is mostly occupied by retired women and Mm -hmm. people with small children like that's who I see when I go into the library here so to see so many people like utilizing a really important resource was kind of awesome like that was a really cool thing to think like wow this is actually a useful way to you not that like old ladies and kids using the library isn't useful but just it was kind of jarring for me to see it like that oh yeah and it's it's a bigger thing like it it obviously differs in the area, but some libraries give full on like library cards to homeless and transient people. Um, we give like day passes to people in our community so they can come in and use everything within the library like all day and there's no problem. Um, but we get a lot of homeless people in our area mostly because we're right next to the train route. So depending on the schedule for the shelters, they kind of have a tendency to move like Tuesdays is usually the day where they all um, come to the library and we give them guest passes. We even have a um, Tuesday afternoons. We always do a Tuesday afternoon movie where we just show a movie in our auditorium for free and we provide snacks and coffee and tea and stuff like that for anybody who comes. Just so it's kind of like at least on Tuesday when it's most populated and like the people who need the most help know that like even if they don't feel comfortable coming to talk to us, they see our faces. They see Mm -hmm. that we're running a program. We see that we're handing out snacks. They see that, you know, we're giving them passes to use the computer. So even if they're not at the point where they feel comfortable saying like hey i don't know how to use the computer i don't know how to do these things yet by constant by at least showing your face to these communities eventually hopefully they'll get to that point where they'll be like i recognize that girl i know she's helped me before maybe i feel comfortable asking her about this kind of stuff but it's it our community is really cool because it's kind of a hu- we have hugely different it kind of sucks because sometimes you're just like disappointed but like how <laughs> how conservative it can be when you forget how sometimes you're like given so much openness and then to have it like shut down when someone starts complaining about your your pride month display and you're just like oh i forgot people like you exist in this community but the people like you who exist in the community aren't usually the people who come in you know they're the people who have heard from somebody else that this is happening in the library and without coming in and talking to a librarian or seeing anything they're just going to complain about it in the paper you know what i mean but if people actually come in and see all the different stuff we offer for a whole bunch of different groups i think i think more people would understand why the library is so badass (laughs) like we have loads of different stuff happening we always have different community meetings um we are our area the next town over has like an islamic foundation high school which is basically 
basically like a, I think it's like a middle school and high school together for people who are Islamic. And so they have a huge presence in our library because they're always having tutoring sessions and they're renting out our study rooms. And whenever people get angry and they're like, why do we spend so much money? Why do we need so many study rooms? I'm always just like, because where else can you go that's free to sit and study after school hours? Like aside from the library, you can't go to Starbucks and sit there all day and not buy anything and like work on stuff. The library is such a great hub for the community, no matter your socioeconomic status or your class or anything like that. It's just a it's a good free place to mingle and to meet people and to read books and to have meetings where you're not expected to pay for stuff. And that's why people who are lower income and people who are homeless and people who don't have disposable income at the ready to go buy the new bestseller, you might have to wait a little bit longer for it to be on hold or something. But you can probably come in and like read the ebook on the computer if you wanted to, if you didn't have access to a library card or something like that. I don't know. I just I, I love being able to serve large diverse communities and to see what it is they need. Like once they feel comfortable with seeing you, like we didn't know in our community for the longest time that all of a sudden there was a lot more people who speak Spanish moving in our, to our community. For the most part, our community has been like heavily sort of Middle Eastern, Indian and heavily like white. But now there's a lot more Hispanic populations moving in, which is freaking awesome. So now we're developing like English as a second language classes and a conversation thing where hopefully if we get it off the ground and going well once um at least once a month people who are learning english all different types of people it doesn't have to be any specific like you know only know spanish and you only know like turkish or etc anybody who's learning english can come and start trying to speak in english to each other in like a guided program but that's something that the community let us know they were interested in and so we developed a program around it. So it's cool to have these people come in and then you're like, oh, this is something that I didn't see, but someone has told us and now we can make it happen. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> it's I don't know. So, OK, you know, the section on Instagram where it shows you it's not stuff that you follow. It's stuff other people have liked and stuff. Oh, like yeah. That. Explore or something. Yeah. Like that stuff too. yeah. So I, I, I'm not sure if you you are the reason because obviously we follow each other on Instagram. If you're the reason why every once in a while there's a, like a comic that pops up about librarians and <laughs> probably it's like a, a weird it's not ongoing like questionable content is like an ongoing comic yeah. right there are like some stories that like will go on for a couple of like a couple of different posts and then it'll just go back to something else mm -hmm. but there was this one where a young person had come in and was talking to a librarian and her boss was like well what what did that person say and she was like if that person had wanted you to know what they had to say they would have told you but they told me mm -hmm. they just wanted someone to listen and then it became like this big thing where the boss kept asking all the different librarians like if someone came in and told you something important you would tell me right and they were like what is the right answer do you just want me to say yes in this moment because when it actually happens I'm not going to tell you yeah and I just thought that was so interesting because I was like my first thought was like that's not a librarian though that's a social worker and then I was like well oh yeah <laughs> I guess I guess you you have to be both Though. Oh, yeah. That's a huge thing that's happening in libraries right now. Um, a lot of the bigger libraries, I think New York Public, I think maybe Philly Free Library. There's a lot of the bigger libraries and even some of the smaller ones that have the budgets for it are hiring like social workers to be there during certain hours that help out with specific stuff that's like a little more than our pay grade. I'm, I'm there to help you get information. I'll do everything I can to get the most correct information to you. But when it comes to stuff that's a little more like, you know, somebody who has maybe been assaulted or somebody who has lost their, their home or all these things. Like, 
I can't physically fill out paperwork for you. Like that's, that's where we can't, we can't fill out things for people. We could show you how to get to that point. We can pull up the page for you and show you what to do, but we're not allowed to do that stuff. But having a social worker helps with that kind of stuff because you can have one-on-one situations where you can talk things through, figure out the best point of attack in terms of like filing for divorce. If you're being, you know, having some type of abuse happening or things like that, there's just some stuff that also it's kind of like we, we always joke in like our little group of nerdy librarians that whenever you apply for a job and the bottom says other duties as assigned, that includes everything humanly known to man. <laughs> like if you ever see that, you're like, oh shit, there's some stuff you're going to have to put up with because other duties as assigned turns into we have a little old lady who calls every single week and wants to talk for 20 minutes because she thinks we're AMC. Every week she calls and she wants to know all the movie times for every single movie on Tuesday and every movie playing and what's coming out in the next couple weeks because AMC is like a corporate thing and they don't answer the phone. So like, how is this little 76 year old woman who doesn't know how to use the internet gonna figure out what the movie times are because she has to take the bus to go to the movies and she only goes on Tuesdays because it's the senior cheap day. She has to call the library and we tell her and she writes it all down and plans out her day. Like that's the weird stuff that you don't think like someone calls the library for. And then you have someone on the other side of the coin who is like a single working mom who's like escaped a bad relationship and needs to find like a pro bono divorce lawyer and needs to find where to have where to get cheap housing or a shelter that accepts kids you know some some of them don't some of them are women's only shelters some of them are shelters for people but no families because you you know they're they're different parameters so there's a lot of you never know when someone walks up to the desk what they're gonna ask you for and so you kind of are always prepped for you have to kind of be prepped for everything and know the best way to just get the information as quickly as you can and also sometimes people just want to talk that's a big thing especially at night you notice when you become a librarian that early early in the morning the first two hours you're open and the last two hours you're open you will get so many lonely people who just call because they want to hear someone's voice because they just want to talk to someone and sometimes they apologize to you on the phone they're like i'm sorry i know you're talking i'm talking your ear off and if there's nobody waiting then i i don't care most of the time it's okay unless there's like a line and then i usually will be like oh can you just hold for a minute while i deal with this line or something like that but and you get the same people there's a very sweet little lady who calls every couple days and she always asks for me first because she knows i just listen and sometimes it's legitimate questions that she's doing reference questions most of the time it's what channel the cubs game is on on her vastly large comcast tv package it's like here's my address can you look up my my comcast and tell me what channel this is and i'm like sure sure but it's like, you know, 7 p.m. on a Wednesday night and she's got nobody else to talk to. So she calls the library and just comes up with questions to ask us. And so it's like, well, it's not taking that much time out of my day to be polite to someone on the phone who obviously just like needs a little bit of human interaction. So it's it's hard to figure that balance, though, because sometimes people just want to talk and there's no stopping them. And sometimes you have to like kind of put a pause on that and say, like, this is still like a business transaction. Like this is still a lot like we're still a place of work. So I can't just talk to only you, you know? Mm-hmm. 
You have to, it's a lot of social work. It's a lot of navigating. It's a lot of reading people's behavior, reading people's facial expressions, reading body language and seeing like what, what is making them uncomfortable. There's several women who come in on um, Tuesdays when it's kind of the homeless day who will not take instruction from men in the building. So even if they're doing something wrong and they might just not know, like you can't eat in the building. But if one of our male monitors walks over and talks to them, they'll freak out because they've obviously had traumatic experiences with men in the past. So you see that happening, then you go over and you calm the situation and then you speak to them and usually then they're more uh kind of aware and they're, they're like oh she's looking out for me that's cool and then from that point on you're just like hey if you have a problem with her just come get one of the us and we'll go talk to her but it's a lot of like constantly it's it's harry potter style constant vigilance you just start <laughs> on your toes and kind of keeping an eye out on what's going on and you get to know the same patrons who come in um and, and you develop relationships with them in a purely you know professional manner but you're like oh you went on this trip or you uh, people come back all the time and bring me um like postcards of places they visited because i'm like the travel person and like at the library because i'm always going places so like there's a woman right now who's in scotland and i gave her so much stuff on where to go in scotland and things to do because i've been there twice and she already like emailed the library while on her trip to tell them to thank me for all the help that i gave her because she's gone to like four of the places i've recommended so far and she's having so much fun and she'll bring back pictures and stuff but it's like little stuff like that like you have to you don't have to I guess it's not part of the job but if you really want to be good at your job you have to pay attention to all the aspects of things happening I mean yeah that that's not just a librarian though right like that's any job (laughs) that's any job yeah, there's the stuff that you get paid to do that was on the thing that you signed when you took the job. And then mm-hmm. there's all that stuff at the bottom, right? That just has <laughs> other responsibilities as needed. And then if you're good at those things and if you're good at anticipating the needs for those things, then that's when you become successful. And no one's perfect. It always, you always get some people and some situations that just suck. And like being a tiny woman in a library sometimes with certain people come in and you're just bracing yourself for there to be trouble. And I've had to deal with so much fucking trouble. <laughs> like it's stuff you never, the thing I have a problem with is that I don't think, and library schools are going to ream me for this all across the world, but I don't think library school adequately sets you up for actual work as a librarian. And I mean that in the sense of a public librarian as to what I do, it may be different for academic librarians or archivists, or maybe even like children specific or school librarians. I don't know what their graduate school projections were like how what classes they had to take but for me when I started working especially when I started working full-time I think I use like a quarter of the shit I learned in library school so much of library school is a possible situation you know it's a lot of it's a lot of things this might happen here's a here's an idea of something you might deal with but until you're actually working you never know what you're dealing with they really I feel like lean too far on not old schoolness, but by the book kind of librarianship, at least when I was going. And then when I really started working, I was like, this is not how it is at all. Nobody has told me how to deal with, nobody in library school taught me how to deal with someone sexually harassing me in a library setting. Nobody taught me how to deal with how to, what how, what to do when someone was looking, when someone has child porn on the internet. No one has taught me what to do when someone gets physically violent at the library. No one has taught me to do when someone has a seizure because they're overdosing at the computers. That's none of that is stuff you 
you learn in library school. You learn like how to catalog a magazine. And that's like, for me, that's something I've never done. I've never once cataloged a magazine because we have people that we pay to be professional catalogers. So as a public librarian on the reference desk, there's so much stuff that I felt like I paid to learn that I will never, ever use. And I know that that's pretty common with, I think, most school and kind of continuing education things. But I feel like in library science, they really undersell you on the amount of socialization and social work and dealing with the public and dealing with extreme situations that they do not adequately set you up to learn from. I wish they would have us do, I wish when I was in library school, they would have had us do drills on how to how to deal with a um, angry patron, how to deal with a patron who threatens you, how to deal with a patron who's so angry they follow you to your car. You know, it's the same thing that happens to a lot of people who work in any sort of public area. But I think that that aspect of library school is very, very lacking in comparison to like the theory section of it. Everything is a theory. And here's the theory of this. And in theory, you should be able to do this. And it's like, yeah, well, in theory, I should have eight straight hours to do any, to do my work, but that ain't going to happen. <laughs> so right. teach me how to, what do they call that when you, you know, how to de-escalate a situation. There's a lot of that. And they don't teach you that in library school. They don't teach you how to go up to someone and talk to them and get them to come down eight pegs so you can <laughs> talk to them like an adult <laughs> when they're screaming because you're charging them $6 for an overdue DVD, you know? What's the dream? I've had so many dreams, Jay. <laughs> I don't know. As far as dreams go, I often think I would like to, for a while, I thought, it, I, want, I, I thought I wanted to run a library. I thought I wanted to be a library director. And I absolutely could. I know I have the, I have the managerial skills. I have the temperament. I have the uh, detail-oriented, but also big-picture kind of brain that would be great as library director. What I don't have is patience for dumbasses. And so I don't think I would make a good library director because I cannot willfully fake smile at white dudes and tell them that their opinion is valid in the like the bureaucracy aspect of it. I can't, I don't think I could handle that. Um, and my director does a great job at balancing like being an actual good person with having to like not have the whole town hate us. <laughs> and even because it's a boys club, you know, like she does a really good job of, of balancing those two extremes. And I don't think I have the temperament for that kind of thing. So I think what I'd really like to do is just run a department. I'd really like to entirely lead a department, like an adult services department. I, I really like mentoring. I really like training people. I really like giving people kind of tasks and seeing how they solve them and then kind of figuring out their strengths from there and what the things they need to work on. I do that a little bit at work just with the new people. And it, it makes me feel very validated that people trust me to teach them. So I think I would like to do that and kind of just run a department one day. So it's not like I'm head of the food chain and have to. The other thing I don't like about being a director, which is very unfortunate, and it's different for bigger libraries versus rural libraries and things. But I feel like directors don't get to do any of the fun stuff. The most fun I have at my job is when it comes time every month to order graphic novels. That's my my happy moment is when I get to sit through and surround myself with reviews and journals and YouTube videos reviewing all the new graphic novels and all the new comic books and getting to read all this stuff, that's when I'm in my element and that's my favorite collection to do. And when you're a director, you are in charge of nothing fun. <laughs> you know, I'm sure to directors, they probably find it fun because they probably have more of that mindset. But it's it seems to me like a lot of meetings with a lot of people and you don't really, you don't get to order anything. You're not in charge of professional development as far as collection development or technical processing 
of books or anything like that. And I don't think I'd want to lose that. I, I'm too much of a extroverted person. I, I don't want to stop doing book clubs. Like how else, like book clubs are the best way to figure out what people in your community like and what your people in your community are reading. And also to kind of put a face to the library. Like everyone in my book club, I have probably like 30 people who come between sessions on and off and everyone knows me and everybody comes in the library and says hi to me. Everybody knows my boyfriend. He's come to book club before when he's been here. It's like a little, a little family. And I feel like if you move too much off that hierarchy and you get too high, you lose out on dealing with the community directly. You deal with the elected officials, but you don't get to deal with the people. And I like dealing with people. I am a people person. I would hate to be alone in an office for more than like one day a week. I like having my time on the desk, even though sometimes it's the most draining thing in the world when you hear someone's sob story and you have to take your 10 minute break to just cry because of someone else's life and how they're so strong and you're crying in a bathroom. But at the same time, you know, you've done something to help someone. Every time I go home, I know I did something today that helps someone, even if it's a little bit, even if it's just teaching them how to print something off of Google that I taught someone something today. And that's what I get to go home with. And so I feel like if I moved up too far, I would, I would lose all of that. And I don't want to lose that. Can you recommend something for me to read? <laughs> I hate you so much right now. <laughs> What's the last thing you read that you really liked? The last thing I read that I really liked, we sort of talked about already, was 84 Charing Cross Road. It oh, was yeah. amazing. And I had like a spiritual experience reading that book and I cried through the end of it. But that was to be expected. So you're a crier with books. I cry over books all the time. I do. And also the la I was looking at my list of like books that I've read this year. I'm up to 21. I'm really proud of myself. Nice job. And the other book that I was like, wow, I really like this book and I wasn't expecting it was Hank Green's debut novel. Um, oh yeah. What's it called? An, an exceptionally something, something like that. Yeah. An amazingly exceptional experience or something. It's got like a really weird name, but it's it was got a really strange cover. Like like long title. Yeah. But it was really, really good. And it also made me feel super weird about what I do for a living because it has to do with social media and stuff like that. So, yeah. Oh, okay. So you're putting me on the spot here. I am. I am putting I you on the spot. You, I don't know how much you'll like it, but it's been getting a lot of buzz lately. Okay. Um, is the, have you heard of the flat share? No. Okay. So the flat share is a new book. It's getting a lot of buzz. I have not read it yet, but it's, it's very, very popular on the, on the world right now. But <laughs> it, it might, you might like it if you liked 84 Charing Crossroad because it's, that book is written like apostolarily. So it's got, it's like letters back and forth. Yep. Pretty sure the, so the flat share is, I think, two people who don't, they both need a flat share. They don't necessarily like each other. So the entire, but, you know, it's kind of a romance where, you know, they're going to fall in love, but it's not, it's not classified as romance. It's like literary fiction with a romance element, but I'm pretty sure all, or if not all, some of the book is written in post-its back and forth that these two passive aggressive people leave to each other as they're entering and leaving their flat every day. So they share the same space, but they don't really like ever see each other and or not often enough. So everything they do is communicated through notes. And so a lot of them, their interest in each other grows through writing these notes to each other, even though they're actually occupying the same space. That might be something cool. I haven't read it yet, so I can't entirely tell you. I haven't read that Hank Green book yet. Or yeah, Hank Green, right? Yeah. Yeah, Hank Green. I also read the the latest John Green book, which is called Turtles All the Way Down. Mm-hmm. 
which is incredible. So I have a very special place in my heart for YA. I will also, oh, I was, I will always love YA. I will buy every book that Sarah Dustin puts out. I know she just had a new one come out very recently, and I have to go and get it. Sarah um, Dustin is a queen. Yeah, she is a queen, and I'm so glad that she got um, picked up by Netflix for some of her books. Yeah, she's but, really like, awesome. There was a period in my life where I thought that that's what I would write. I would write YA books, but that's not. Then I grew up, and I was like, my God, I hate teenagers. They're the worst. I don't want to write about them. Yeah, but, but you, can, you can write really – you can write good YA, though. You don't have to write, like, Riverdale YA. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's, there's different types of YA. I can recommend you two fantastic YA novels, which the first is actually a YA graphic novel called Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me. It's one of the best books I've read this year. Uh, I think as a woman of a certain age, you will relate to it a lot. It reminds me very much of the person I was when I was like 17. It's about this lesbian girl who keeps getting dumped by her girlfriend over and over again. But every time her girlfriend like shows that like Laura Dean shows up, she goes back to her. So it's sort of like that cycle of being with someone, even though you know you deserve better but you're not sure if you're a good enough person to be better than what you have. It was very, it's not like it's a heavy book. The themes really weighed with me where I was just like, oh God, I, I absolutely remember being that person when I was 18. You know what I mean? Um, and the art is beautiful. Everything is black and white and pink. And Is it's it by so cool. Mariko Tamaki? Yes. It's okay. awesome. And then Adding. another really good YA one, which is perfect because it's actually these are both good because it's Pride Month, would be A Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue by Mackenzie Lee. It's so good. It's such a good, it's a YA, uh, like queer historical fiction book about these two boys. One of his, he's white and he's like a son of an aristocrat and he's basically just kind of bisexual and kind of just slutting it up. And so his family is finally like, you're going off and we're sending you, this is your last like summer. We're going to set you up and to get married and to do all this stuff and be like, you know, the head of the house. And so him and his sort of, sort of like, I can't remember the word for it, like a footman best friend kind of a thing who is, I think, I want to say he's African, but I can't remember from what country he was originally from, but he lives with the family in England. They go off on this kind of lads on tour journey, but like on a boat <laughs> in like the 17, in like Victorian England and are you know, secretly in love and, and falling for each other. And she has, he has a really sassy sister who doesn't really care about sexuality and, and marriage and stuff. Cause she's all she wants to be as a scientist, but no one will ex uh, accept a female into like any science academies. And then there, there's a second book in the series that's about her, but they're really, really well written. They're really fun. I read the entire book in one day and it was like 500 pages. I like stayed up all night and read the entire thing, which was great. I read a lot. I'm actually reading a book. I, I do like um, where I am in Illinois, we have like this thing called Adult Reading Roundtable. And what they do is every year, every two years, they pick a genre and we do an intense study on this specific genre. So right now we are almost done with the two year long romance study. Oh, man. And so every two months we meet and we have to read two books in a specific subgenre of romance. So last time it was... Uh, romantic suspense and the next meeting is paranormal romance and i am currently reading a book called hot and badgered <laughs> i knew i knew that would pop you i knew it <laughs> and i don't know if you can guess what it's about jay but it's about honey badger shapeshifters 
Oh my God, the hot and battered. I'm- yeah. So wait, but and now I feel compelled to ask you this question. Does that mean that over the course of the last two years, which is basically how long we've been friends, like we, we met each other in like the beginning of September of 2016, but we really became friends in 2017. So this whole time I thought you were super, super into romance, but you've just been doing it for this thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck, that's hilarious. I do I do enjoy romance novels, but, like, my go-to sections are probably, like, generally, like, graphic novels and a lot of fantastical science fiction. So I don't like stuff that's, you know, I'm not really into, like, your Star Wars, Star Trek, big world space stuff, but, like, Discworld, anything Terry Pratchett, Douglas Adams, Neil Gaiman, anything of that kind of realm of stuff. Even like Christopher Moore has some really cool, weird, quirky stuff. That kind of stuff's like the stuff I'm really into. But I've, I've really gained an appreciation for romance because I've been forced to read at least two rom- a romance novel a month for the past two years. So I'm starting to get better. I'm writing a romance novel now, but I don't know if it's going to be any good. But uh, it's fun. Writing a romance novel? Yeah, I'll let you read it once it actually has any substance to it and it's not just outlined but it's it's fun it makes it the other thing i'll tell you about being a big reader and i mean this in the kindest way possible even though it's not going to turn out kind sounding at all is that you'll read certain things and you'll think to yourself i can do anything because this person published a book i can do (laughs) (laughs) sometimes you read things and you're just like man they let this person publish a book i can i can do this like i've got this down i once read a book that was a i had to read an erotic romances which was not hard for me because i'm a pervert as you know but uh, it was about a sex camp and this girl's friends basically signed her up for like a six week long intensive sex camp where she'd learn about like sex stuff. And it's just an orgy. Like it's just a 300 page filth orgy. And it wasn't the worst thing I've ever read, but I just kept reading it and think, yeah, I can write a book. <laughs> Good grief. I felt that way after reading Catcher in the Rye. Ooh, that's a book that's very important when you're in high school. And after that, you start to realize the person that you were when you originally read it has changed. That's that's the epitome of books that are really good at a per- certain time of your life. And then as you get older and you realize you've changed as a human, your opinion toward that book changes. That's how I feel about. So I hated Catch from the Rye and that's never changed. I just someone recently was like, maybe you should give it a try again as an adult. And I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think it will have gotten any better because my Catcher in the Rye in high school was the perks of being a wallflower. Oh, and yeah. my experience of it as an adult is very different it's mm-hmm. very very different I have I have strong opinions now about those characters viewing them as a 30 something instead right. of viewing them as the same age as, as them isn't he writing his second novel he's writing his first book in 20 years and it comes out I think in November and I think it's a horror an adult horror novel Stephen Chopsky, Chabotsky, I'm not exactly sure yeah. to say it, but yeah, he, that book's going to be everywhere. Also, that you know you know, Perks of Being a Wildflower is going to come to Netflix the month that that book comes out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I liked the movie version. Like, I thought it was a perfectly good adaptation, especially because yeah. I knew that he was involved in, in writing the script. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's definitely not a thing that I feel as connected to as I did when I was 17 years old. So There's, there's a lot of stuff like that. I feel a lot of people have a, a book like that where they read it at a certain time in their life and it was really really important and then now it's kind of 
I don't know who, who I was then. <laughs> I have changed since then. Or or sometimes a book that you hated and the first time you read it and now you read it again with a different set of life experiences and it's like, oh, oh, this is different now. I understand what they're trying to say now. Before it was really boring. And now you read it as an adult and you're like, oh, there's all these themes that I didn't relate to when I was 17 or 20. And now I've been through all this shit in my life and I've worked a full-time job. And now I understand why this, this feels so heavy, you know? I think there's also something to be said for like reading something at the right time in your life too. Oh yeah. That's part of the this process of me going through all of Alice Hoffman's books is that I I'm experienced so some of it I'm rereading, right? Like mm-hmm. I made a point of actually like sitting down and rereading Practical Magic even though I have definitely read it many many times before. But then there are other books that I'm reading for the first time that I didn't skip when I was younger cuz obviously with my mom they were in the house that they yeah. existed, they were there for me to read at whatever time there were a couple of them that she really wanted like um her debut novel is called property of and it's pretty there's some serious stuff in there that probably at like 14 wouldn't have been would have just like i think have been a little beyond me but then when i was like 18 and i read them i love that's still my favorite of the of all of Alice Hoffman's books. But there have been other ones that I've read since then. Like there was one that starts off with a girl who goes to England and falls in love. And (laughs) as I'm reading this book, I'm like, Oh God. You're setting yourself up there, kid. There's like a weird thing where I can like hear my mother in the back of my head going just on time, like right on schedule. This yep. is perfect. I was saving this one for you and now is the right time for you to read it. So yeah, I, I, think, I very much enjoy that. I think books are, I, I feel like this is something that a lot of people say about songs. When you hear a certain song, you remember a certain point in your life where you were, where you were when that song was playing, you know, like you associate, even if it wasn't a concert, like some song was on and you, you associate associate it with an old relationship or you associate with it with a wedding or something like that. And I think books are a hundred percent the same way. Mm-hmm. There's certain books that you just read, you've read at some point and every time that book is brought up or every time you see that book, you think of that time you read it. And we don't talk about that kind of stuff enough because it's such a important part of just growing as a person is knowing why And I think a lot of times, too, those books are things that are important to us because it's like, ah, I remember where it was when I read this book or when I read this part and when I cried reading this. But like, why did that stick with you? What is it about that book that stuck with you for so many years that you even remember where you were when you read it? And I think that thinking about those kind of things really helps narrow down like the kind of books that you're into without even knowing it. Okay, so that's it. Courtney Rose is a librarian. That's what you're doing. That's me. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Thank you for this. I really appreciate it. No worries, dude. Well, I I appreciate you giving me book recommendations. I'm sorry for putting you on the spot like that. No, that's fine. That's what I do. (laughs) That was so much fun. I'm really glad the first episode was Courtney, not just because the conversation was so great and she brought a lot to the table, but also it put me at ease a little bit because I was talking to someone I was comfortable recording with. But she did offer a lot of insight into what goes on in public libraries and what it's really like to be a librarian. So that was great. Tell me what you think. Tweet me at the Lady J says, message me on Instagram at the Lady J Slays, email the Lady J says at gmail.com and tune in next week where our guest is a singer, but not just any kind of singer, but you have to tune in to find out what I mean by that. Don't forget to subscribe, follow on Spotify. Let me know what other platforms you want to see this podcast on. And yeah, 
that's it. All right, I'll make a deal with you all. Everyone come back next week. I'll be here with a new episode, same time, same place. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Bye. Bye.